Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you have chosen to join uh, with us here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And uh, for the uh, those of you who are listening on our podcast, I'm glad um, that you're listening in as well. Um, before we dive in today, um, I just wanted to thank um, many of you who responded last week to the uh, personal ministry evaluations that we had. Um, we were delighted. I was delighted. Our staff was delighted um, to notice that there were over 200 of you that filled out that form last week. And um, so I'm so thankful for that. It caused us a lot of work. But that's okay, because we're thankful, because that means 200 of you are finding your gifting area, and so we are taking that very seriously, and we're looking at each one very seriously, and uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who responded with your personal evaluation form, so thank you so much. And if you haven't, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you can go to our guest service desk in the back, and you can pick one of those up. It kind of gives an overview of how God has gifted you to be in ministry um, as we completed a series called Game Plan uh, last week. So um, just thank you so much for all those of you who uh, have been a part of that. When you came in today, uh, you received the notes, and I want to invite you to kind of follow along with the points this morning for the notes, and uh, the verses are listed in there. So if you don't have a Bible, um, you can follow along in our notes. Everything will be on the screens this morning, so you can follow along there as well. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along that way, you can turn to Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter six today as we kick off this brand new series called Fearless Prayer as uh, you just saw up there on the screens. I'm very excited about this series in particular and uh, where God is going to take us. This series was really birthed with an idea of us as a church kind of coming around the idea of learning more about prayer. Um, I, I have a desire to learn more about prayer. I have a desire to take this idea of talking with God, talking with the divine to a new level in my own life, and I'm sure that many of you do. And one of the main questions that I'm asked as a pastor uh, throughout these years that I've been a pastor has to do with prayer. Um, it's probably one of the things that um, people who are Christ followers struggle with the most. It's probably one of the things that those of you who may not be a Christ follower struggle with is this uh, ability to talk with God, And so in this series, um, we are going to discover um, what it means to have a fearless, bold prayer life. And as we make this progression over the course of these next three weeks, um, I want to encourage you because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it on a very personal level today. We're going to be talking about it a little more on a broad level next week. My friend Des Wadsworth is going to be here, one of the pastors from Low Country Community Church, a great guy. And uh, he's going to be here with us next week teaching. And then we're going to follow up that last week in week three with talking about, as you saw on the screens, how when we come together and we as a church pray together, there can be amazing things that God does um, in our midst. And so I'm very excited about that. We're going to conclude this whole series, and I want you to jot this down, put it on your calendar. It's open for everyone. We're going to conclude this whole series with a night of fearless prayer on February. I believe it's the 28th, and we're going to start that at 6 o'clock. Child care will be provided. It's a Friday night um, starting at 7 o'clock, not 6 o'clock. Uh, February 28th at 7 o'clock, and I want to encourage you to be here for that. Um, in 1967, there was a movie that came out called Cool Hand Luke. Disclaimer, it's not a good movie, don't watch it. But 
um, the movie, um, had a great line that continued throughout the movie, and it's a very famous line that we have today. There was a character called Captain, who was uh, actually a warden for a prison, and the captain kind of played opposite um, Paul Newman, uh, who played the character of Luke, Cool Hand Luke. And Luke was a prisoner there, and the captain kept losing track of Luke, and Luke kept escaping uh, from the prison and from what they were doing there in the prison when they would go out on work detail and that sort of thing. He would do his best to escape. And so the captain says a line that's one of the most familiar lines in all of film today, and he looks at Luke often throughout the movie, and he says, what we have here is what? A failure to what? Communicate. All right, those of you who are 40 or more, you knew that, and those of you who are younger than me, you didn't understand that, and I'm sorry that I've already lost you. But it was a movie uh, years ago, and it was one of the most famous lines in all of film. What we have here is a failure to communicate. And I've often thought about that in my own life when it comes to God, when it comes to you all struggling and all of us as uh, people struggling with communicating with God, with the divine one, with the creator of heaven and earth, that what we have really is a failure to be able to communicate with God. And that's what this series is all going to be all about, is how we can approach God. And that we don't have to approach God with timidity, that we can approach him with boldness and without fear, and that we can be audacious in how we approach God. And so today we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus said about prayer, and actually we're going to be taking a look at the exact uh, prayer that Jesus prayed and how he taught us to pray with a specific emphasis on kind of the preamble to Jesus's prayer, or what we know as today as the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus said is the best environment to pray and how we should pray as he gave us a model to pray. You know, I think there are a bunch of different reasons. And if we have 200 people in this room right now, um, and we went around and asked each one of you, um, why is it difficult to pray? Why do you have a failure to communicate with God? My guess is, is that we would come close to having 200 different answers. There's a lot of different reasons um, why we struggle with our communication with God. Uh, sometimes it's because our communication may not really be directed to God. You know, we may just be talking about what we're going through, um, and we kind of think that it's prayer, but we're really just saying it out loud to possibly a stranger or someone else. Uh, I remember a distinct time of growing up. I, I, my memories as um, I get older fade with growing up. I think I've heard that that happens. But when I was growing up, there's one distinct time that I remember. I remember being in a toy store um, with my dad. And I grew up loving G.I. Joe. How many of you guys like G.I. Joe growing up? Okay, I love, there's like three. I love G.I. Joe. Um, it was great. You know, I had the Star Wars characters, but I love the G.I. Joe characters. And I remember being in this toy store with my dad, and there was one particular G.I. Joe character that I really desperately wanted him to buy me. And I kind of stood there in the store, my dad was with me, and I thought, man, I, I'm... I want that. Like, I really want that. And so I was really focused on that. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to get up the boldness just to ask him if he would buy it for me. 
And so I got my puppy dog eyes on. I got all sympathetic looking. I did what seven-year-olds do. And I, I reached up and grabbed his hand. I thought if I grabbed his hand, man, that really, that really does it right there. You know, the heartstrings are really tugging. And he'll give me this character. And simultaneously, as I turned my head to look up and I opened my mouth to start asking him about this toy, I realized that the hand that I was holding was not my dad's. <laughs> you remember that experience growing up? Like, wait, where's dad? You know, sometimes when, we, when we're praying, we, we, we might just be talking to a stranger like we're really not directing our prayers towards someone who is the divine God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sent Jesus to be our savior. But we're just audibly just talking about our lives. And so sometimes the failure to communicate really has to do with the fact that our communication is not directed to God himself. Part of that problem is, is that we have a difficult time sometimes understanding how great God is. We just sang about God's faithfulness, didn't we? We just sang about how much we can count on him. And I love our worship because our worship directs itself at reminding us of how great God is and how rich he is and how generous he is. But sometimes we go to God with our troubles, with our concerns. We go to him with this, a tremendous amount of timidity and being timid and asking based on the fact that we don't really think he's that great. But he is a great God. And I want you to hear this today, church. He loves it when we come to him with boldness. And when we come to him and we beseech on him on our behalf for the things that we need in life and for the desires that we have and for the concerns that we have. He loves it when we are audacious in coming to him and asking him for things. There was a court among Alexander the Great, the great Roman emperor. There was one of those among that court who was a philosopher of outstanding ability, but very little money. This one who was in the philosopher that was in Alexander the Great's court, he asked Alexander for financial help and was told to draw whatever amount he needed from the imperial treasury. But when the man requested an amount that was equal to $50,000, he was refused. The treasurer of the emperor needed to verify that such a large sum was in fact authorized. So the treasurer went to Alexander the Great, the ruler, and replied, Alexander the Great replied, pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request, he shows that he has understood both my wealth and my generosity. You see, God desires, and it's an honor to him, when we ask boldly for those things that line up with his will and his way in our lives. And sometimes our, our communication may be directed not at God. And that's part of the problem with a failure to communicate. And sometimes it may be that we don't think that God is big enough. We have a very uh, kind of small view of who God is and what he can do. And because of that, we have a failure to communicate. And because of that, we pray wimpy, weak prayers. I want us to be a church that can boldly go to God asking him for help in the areas that we have the greatest need in, asking to see his church do amazing things to reach our community for him, 
I want us to be able to go to him with whatever requests that we have, but we have to get back to the basics and understand who God is and what he's done. And Jesus gives us the best example of how we can do that and how we can focus on God. And so we're going to take a look at Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to walk through that this morning. Now, this morning, I want to give you a little bit of context of what was going on during that time. And most of our focus is going to be on the first few verses. And then we'll talk actually about the prayer um, just a little bit as we walk through today's message. But Jesus was in his first very days of his ministry there in Galilee. Galilee was situated a little bit north of where Jerusalem is in Israel. And it was this area around the sea called the Sea of Galilee. And a lot of Jesus' ministries during his three years took place in and around the Sea of Galilee. And Luke and Matthew record the fact that Jesus preached a tremendous message. It was a message called the Sermon on the Mount. And he actually saw a crowd that started gathering there. And he went to the crowd. He had already had some of his followers. And some of his followers went to this crowd. And he preached a message that we know of today as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was giving the people who heard him a message of how we should live. He was talking about moral living. He began with the Beatitudes. Um, if you look at Matthew 5, you can read the Beatitudes. Very simple life lessons that actually turn society on its head, kind of turn uh, what we kind of uh, think about life on its head. And he says that we should live the opposite of the way the world tells us. And it ends with Jesus calling us to be like him, to be like God or to be like Christ. And he covers so many things in between. One of the things that he does in Matthew 6, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is where Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. That's where it's recorded. Matthew recorded it for us. And in Matthew 6, we see how Jesus teaches us to pray. And it's what I want to take a look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you're on your tablet or whatever, you can uh, join in and you can uh, read along uh, with us and you can study along with us. The first point that I want to draw out is the fact that prayer should begin in private. The very first thing that Jesus does is establishes in our lives that prayer should begin, and I want to key on the word begin, that prayer should begin in private. It should start behind closed doors. So much, by the way, so much of what Jesus says here in Matthew 6 about prayer that gives us the model for prayer is pushing down us being hypocrites in our prayer life. And he comes right out of the gates talking about this and kind of the preamble to the prayer in verses 5 and 6. Take a look at verses 5 and 6. Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be what? Seen by others. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is saying that these people who stand at the synagogues and pray out loud and go to the street and pray, they've received their reward. You know what their reward is? The honor of men. Because they use such great language. And they use such large words. And their prayers go on and on and on. And people are impressed and God says, that's it. That's the extent of their reward for their prayers. Verse 6. He turns, turns the tables. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, the reason I want to say this morning that prayer begins in private is because I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to keep us from an extreme view of prayer. On one side are these people that he talks about in verse 5 that just want to pray for everyone to hear them. And what does he call them? Hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. They're people that want just to be heard in their prayers. And what Jesus is saying is they're hypocrites because behind the scenes, behind closed doors, they don't talk to God, their Father. And so Jesus is trying to tell us, don't be like them. They're inconsistent. Their public life is one thing, and their private life is another thing. He says, don't be like them. On the other end of the spectrum, I believe that Jesus talks about this in the context of how we should learn how to pray because he is teaching us how to pray because prayer is not meant to be hidden forever, but we need to learn how to pray. There are many people who think, well, my prayer life is all private. It's true that it needs to start in private and that we need to learn to pray in private, but I don't believe that God gave us the gift of prayer to not share with others. And I believe there's a tremendous power that comes when we as a church come together and pray. It's what we're going to do on February the 28th. And so there's power in that. And Jesus is trying to keep us from either one of those extreme views of prayer. It's interesting. He um, mentions these hypocrites. And it's interesting because when he was giving this message, the people who heard it knew exactly who he was talking about. But do you notice he didn't mention them by name? Isn't that interesting? He says that don't be like these who speak on the street corners, who speak in the synagogues loudly for everyone to hear. And everyone in Galilee who heard that, and everyone in the first century who read Matthew's text knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. He was talking about religious leaders who all they do is talk for people to hear. He was talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees of that day, the religious Jewish leaders who just were verbose in their prayers, who turned sermons into prayers or who turned prayers into sermons. And so Jesus was very careful to say that those kind of people are hypocrites because they're self-indulgent. And sometimes we can have prayers that are self-indulgent just so that everyone can hear. And Jesus says that we've received their reward. I think if Jesus were giving us this message today, he would say, hey, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't go down to the sea pine circle in July and pray out loud long prayers for everyone from Ohio and Indiana to see and hear. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't pray so that people will be impressed, but learn how to pray in private. Learn how to pray in private. It's interesting, there's a second thing I want to kind of point out. Jesus, in his contrast, he says, don't pray like these. But in verse 6, he says that we should go into a closet. And he says that we should shut the door. And the phrase in the original language, shut the door, literally meant to put an obstacle in front of the door. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus is telling us to go in private and put an obstacle in front of the door. Do you know why he's saying to put an obstacle in front of the door where you're supposed to be praying? It's because it's so easy for us to get interrupted, isn't it? Like what he's saying, moms and dads, is go to a place where you can pray where the kids aren't going to come in. Some of you moms are like, that doesn't ever happen. 
Jesus is saying, find that place. Find that environment. He's saying literally put something in front of the door so that you have uninterrupted time with God. A lot easier said than done, isn't it? A lot easier said than done in 2014 with the busyness of life, isn't it? It is very difficult for me, even as your pastor, to have time that's uninterrupted. This morning, I got a text at 6 a.m., How many of you get texts in the middle of the night? I mean, it's just part of life nowadays. We're interrupted at every turn, aren't we? We're interrupted all the time. And Jesus says, if we want to learn how to pray, we will go into private and we will put something in the door so that the door cannot be opened. And what he's driving at here is he wants us to have have a heart attitude that desires to connect with him in such a sincere, genuine way that we're not going to let anything or anyone interrupt that time with him. I know in my life, the struggle that I have to have time with God means that I have to have the discipline to get up early in the morning. And for some of you, it may be early in the morning. For some others, it may be late at night where you can have time by yourself. Cynthia and I both kind of use our kitchen table or the kitchen counter as a place that we have our time with God. Sometimes if it's not really cold or too hot, I'll go out onto the porch and have my time with God. But Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the environment we have because he wants you and he wants all of you. And he wants me and he wants all of you. Of me, and he doesn't want us to be interrupted in our time with him. So, my question for you today is what is it that's sidetracking your prayer time? What is it that's causing a stumbling block or causing an interference in your time with God? Is it worry? Then ask God to take that worry away. Is it thinking about the things that you have to do today? Is it thinking about that three o'clock appointment where you have to make a presentation for someone and it's highly important so that's all you can think about? Is it something maybe that has happened throughout the week that's causing you to be distracted? Jesus is saying, I want to hear that. I want to take it upon me. Give those things to him and be a person of prayer. By the way, this whole passage is given, the whole message is given to a group of people, none of whom are religious leaders. Jesus's message here about prayer was not intended just for me. It wasn't intended just for the priest, or just for the religious leader, or just for that person in ministry. You and I, as normal people, can have a tremendous prayer life. The calling is not for just those in ministry. It's for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Point number two, prayer should be authentic. Prayer should be authentic. Even though God gives us a model for prayer, he doesn't want our prayers to become rote and scripted. Do you understand that? He doesn't want our prayers to become rote and scripted. I want you to hear this, church. He, He wants your prayers to be your prayers. He's given us a model, and we'll talk about that at the end of the message. He's given us a model to look at, but he wants your prayer to be just that. He wants it to be yours. Take a look at verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
You know what Jesus is saying there? You don't have to pray long prayers. You don't have to use a lot of words. Jesus wants your authenticity. A few months ago at the dinner table, we pray as a family before we eat. And um, sometimes it's more meaningful than others. I'm just going to be honest with you. But we share that responsibility. Well, one night I was praying and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, thank you so much for this food. And I was thinking in my mind, we're all hungry. Amen. And I prayed that prayer. And Sean opens up his eyes and he goes, is that it? The seven-year-old looks at me and says, is that it? And I, told, I looked at Cynthia and I said, there's a skeptic in every crowd, just the way it is. Jesus doesn't want us to pray these long-winded, verbose prayers. He wants us to be honest and authentic with him. It says, don't be like those who use many words, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So why ask in the first place, right? It begs the question, why ask in the first place? If God knows what I need before I ask, then why should I even ask in the first place? Why does Jesus say that we need to ask in the first place? It's because when we go to God and ask for our request to be fulfilled, our greatest needs, our dreams, our hurts, our failures that he already knows, it puts us in a position of being under his authority. And it gives honor to him that we would come to him and ask in the first place. You see, it's not about meeting the need. God can meet all of those needs. Regardless of what stage of life you're in, he can meet those needs. But he wants you to take away yet another barrier in that failure to communicate with him. And so he wants us to come to him with those requests in mind. It brings honor and respect when we come to God, acknowledging that he is in control. He doesn't want our long-winded prayers. He doesn't want our personal, authentic, genuine requests to turn into sermons. Dwight L. Moody was an evangelist in the early um, 1900s, early 20th century. And he was a tremendous evangelist out of Chicago. And he and his wife, um, they would often have very long days and guests in their homes. And one evening after a very demanding day, um, Moody asked a visiting Christian to lead in family devotions. The man waxed on eloquently, talked verbosely, and he expounded on a symbolism of a difficult chapter of the Bible. Then he prayed at great length. When the worship was over, Mrs. Moody and the other guests got up from their knees where they had knelt but Mr. Mooney remained bowed in prayer until Mrs. Moody discovered that he wasn't praying at all. He had fallen asleep. <laughs> you see, our prayers don't have to be long. You know what God wants from you? He wants you to be real with him. He wants you to be genuine. And I realize, I want to address something here. I realize that most of us who grew up churched, grew up with this idea that there are certain prayers you pray and certain things you don't talk to God about. That could not be further from the truth. 
We teach our kids how to pray, and we have a prayer that we pray with them at night at the dinner table, and I believe that that helps them to learn how to pray. But those of us who are adults, or if you're a student in here and you've been a Christ follower for some time, God wants you to come to him with a genuine heart and genuine words. He wants to hear what's on your mind and what's on your heart. He doesn't want to hear a prayer that's been written by someone else. He wants to hear what you have to say. Point number three, prayer should address God for who he is. We finally get to Jesus' model. I wanted to spend most of the time in this preamble, kind of this build-up to it, because so much of our prayer has to do with attitude. Then he gives us the model. Prayer should address God for who he is. Verses 9 and 10, he says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is just another word for holy. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. That means expand your kingdom, allow your kingdom to be expanded on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God, first of all, wants us. Jesus is saying that we, first of all, need to address Jesus for who he is. We need to address God for who he is. God, the Father who we go to with our requests and with our pain and with our failures and with all the stuff of life, he is daddy. He is our father. And Jesus addresses him as so in this passage to drive home the fact that we need to address him for who he is. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who sent Jesus to save the world from its sins. He's the one who allowed Jesus to do the miracles that he was doing. But I want you to hear this today. Our God, our Father, is also Daddy. Some of you probably need to hear that this morning. And perhaps some of you, the barrier between you and God, the failure to communicate, is this idea that he's a pie in the sky, divinity that can't be touched or reached. Jesus uses a word for affection. He actually used a word, pater, which means father or dad in the original language. I have a friend, Stan Thomas. Some of you have heard Stan. He speaks here occasionally. And he literally prays that way. He says, Daddy. And I love that. It's a term of endearment and affection that we can have for God. We address him for who he is and what he's done. But then he goes on to say, Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, part of our prayer is coming under the submission of God and realizing that prayer is not all about us. It shouldn't be self-indulgent. It should be something that we align ourselves with the will of God. Because guess what? We can pray all day long for what we want, but God knows what we need best, doesn't he? He knows what we need best. And the way that we want him to answer prayer may not be the way that we need for him to answer prayer. And praying for his will to be done acknowledges the fact that you know that. I often have people say, you know, pray for me in this area, and I do, but I also say, I'm also going to pray for God's will to be done in your life because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Point number four, prayer should include asking God for your daily needs. Jesus says in verse 11, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Jesus includes the fact in the prayer that we should pray or a model prayer like we should pray. He includes the fact that we need to ask God for provision 
It is okay to go to God for provision. But do you notice that this phrase is the shortest phrase? That he spends less time on our needs than he does on anything else. Not because he doesn't care about our needs, but because he wants us to get it in the proper perspective. He wants us to first acknowledge who he is and to realize that he is sovereign. He's the one who's in control. And then we can go to God with our needs. Listen, you can ask God for anything. There's not anything that you can't ask God for as long as it's not sin and as long as it comes within his will. And so Jesus says, give us our daily bread, take care of us, provide for us. Point number five, prayer should include a time of confession to God. These last two points aren't very popular in church today. But Jesus said that we need to confess our sins to God. He says in verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus says that we need to come to God and keep a short account with him. That we need to confess the sins that we've done. Well, another question that you may have about prayer is why in the world, if Jesus died for me, if I've accepted him as my Savior, why do I need to continually come back to him to ask for forgiveness of my sins. Well, number one, Jesus told us to in this prayer that we need to ask forgiveness. But I think it's also to once again establish who we are with God, that he is in control, that he is the one that takes away our sins. If you died at this moment in time and you hadn't confessed all of your sins in life, but you asked Jesus to be your savior, I promise you you're going to heaven. I hope you hear me clearly on that. But Jesus says that as a Christ follower, it's a good practice for our spiritual lives to come to him often and confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness for those things that we've done that we know disappoint God. And so he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then lastly, point number six, prayer should include asking God for protection from sinful things. Again, something that the modern-day church doesn't focus on a lot is this whole idea of sin and temptation. Jesus says in Matthew 16, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, one of the things that we as Christ followers ought to be praying for is for us to be protected from temptation. Here's how sin works. We're first tempted, and then we sin, and then the consequences, the earthly consequences of the sin all start to unravel. That's the evil part. Jesus tells us that the best practice in our prayer life is to ask God to protect us from the temptation. And then he goes to the other extreme and says, protect us from evil. We should be praying that for our lives. We should be praying that, parents, for our children's lives, to protect them from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know about you, but I um, grew up in a churched environment where there was one word that defined prayer in my growing up and in my learning about prayer. Now, listen, I grew up in a fantastic Christian environment. My parents were fantastic, the model Christian parents. But in general, I grew up learning that prayer was equal to etiquette. Etiquette. That you had to say the right thing and do the right thing, and it was formulamatic. And that you almost had to repeat prayers that you've heard before. And many of you, I would assume, grew up learning about prayer in that 
kind of format. Jesus' model for prayer does not drive at etiquette. It drives at our heart. It drives at our heart. He wants us to recognize who he is, but he wants us to have authenticity in our requests. He wants us to ask for him to provide. He wants us to come to him, telling him all of our sins. Guess what? He knows them anyway. He's God. He wants us to be authentic. It's not about etiquette. It's about authenticity and about being genuine in front of God. He's given us that model. We should follow that model. Back in the 1990s, Cynthia and I were looking for our, our first home, and uh, we bought that house and had it for a few years, and we sold it, and we bought a, a, another house. And on our second home that we bought, um, we bought a brand new house, and it was built for us. And we went to the sales place, and they had several different models that we got to walk through. And there was one particular model that we liked, and we walked through that house, and then we had the builder build a house that was similar to that model. It wasn't an exact replica of that house. We made a few changes. The builder had to make a few changes. It wasn't the exact rote copy of that original model, but it was something that was similar to what we had seen and what we liked. That's what Jesus gives us here. He gives us a model, not to be repeated all the time, even though you may want to, to practice, but to be modeled after and when you and I do that, when we go into our closets and we have uninterrupted prayer, and when we model it after Jesus' model, then we get in a place where we all can have fearless prayer, where we all can boldly ask God to meet our needs, to heal our hurts, to see our dreams fulfilled, and we can go to him when we understand what it means to pray. Now, if you're a Christ follower in here today, I'm going to ask you, and it doesn't matter whether you're here from another church, whether you, you know, you're vacationing here, or whether you are a full-time resident on Hilton Head Island, or if you're uh, a member here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, I'm going to ask you to take up a challenge today. I'm going to ask you if you would join me this week for the next seven days to take a portion of every day for the next seven days and commit that portion of prayer. It might be five minutes. It might be an hour. I don't know. That's between you and God and in your relationship with, with God and your journey with God, what that looks like. But I'm going to ask you to commit and take up a challenge that for the next week, we as a church will spend at least a portion of the next seven days praying and learning how to pray in private. God, thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. Thank you that you've given us such a great model. Father God, I pray that our prayers are genuine and authentic. And God, I pray that our failure to communicate would be something that we would learn how to push through. And God, that we would learn what it means to talk with you. And that we would even take some of the preconceived ideas that we have about prayer, that rote, written, scripted, etiquette type of prayer. And God, I pray that we would be able to have the ability to, to toss that out. And that we would come to you with a genuineness and a simplicity that drives at our desire to spend time with you. God, awaken those who are in here who need to be awakened spiritually. God, I pray that you would help me as the pastor and our leadership team, the staff and elders to be committed to the practice of prayer, of daily, regular, authentic prayer. 
If you're in here today and you say, Todd, I'll take up that challenge this week, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right now and keep it up. Okay, very good. Awesome. Keep it up for just a moment. Those of you who have your hands raised. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and for me that we would stay true to that over the next seven days and that God would start doing an amazing work among us. Father God, I pray for those who have their hands raised now that you would give them the ability, that you would give them the time, that you would supernaturally order their steps so that they're able to spend time with you this week. Help it to be true, help it to be authentic, and help us to be in our right place with you. In Jesus' name, I pray.